Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 3, Episode 4, Beauty and the Beasts. Tale as old as time. <laughs> oh this episode is bad <laughs> agreed um i remember messaging you having watched the episode and being like this episode made me angry mm-hmm. and the reason for that is because it deals with some very serious issues so you know major trigger warning here for like domestic violence and abuse and violence against women um and it doesn't do those issues justice. Like, I have no problem with a show bringing up these issues and, and trying to be an issues episode. But it, it feels like it shoehorned them into an episode that's also half about other things. And it just doesn't gel. Yeah, I understand your anger. I, I wasn't so much angry as I was just kind of like confused. It, actually, this, mm-hmm. this episode was kind of like hard for me to figure out what the parallels are between... Buffy and Angel and this couple. I I think I can help enlighten you when we get to that point, if you'd like me to. Oh, I would like nothing more. Uh, (laughs) Shall we begin? Let's do it. Let's do it. So we start with a Buffy voiceover. Ooh, I know you love your narrations, Kara. (laughs) You love so much when Angel does it. Yeah, I can't get enough of them. Oh, my God. (laughs) Buffy is saying, One night after supper, the lead dog turned up a snowshoe rabbit. The dog lay down low to to the... face of his okay i'm not gonna read it because obviously my notes do not make (laughs) any sense (laughs) just read call of the wild and you'll you'll know what buffy's saying it goes into willow who's reading the story call of the wild to oz who is a werewolf in the cage in the library now oz's werewolf i cannot decide if it's better or worse than the last time we saw his werewolf form, which was in Phases Season 2. It's better. Like, the the budget for Season 3 is bigger. The makeup is better. They they show the transformation effect at, at one point with, like, a really tight close-up on just part of his face. Yeah. And it's it's nice. Like, they're making an effort, at least, and I'm willing <laughs> to give them trying. some credit for that. What I like is that it actually is quite an original look for a werewolf. Like, it's still clearly yeah. a... a full body suit obviously he looks like yeah, a he's teletubby, more like a beast anything. man <laughs> yeah you know like there's, there's there's not really the snout there that you get with a wolf it's yeah. he, he looks like a beast man and he's but... more he has oz's face for sure so anyway xander comes in because he's gonna take over willow's watch which i thought was actually quite nice of him i was like oh okay that's nice and then willow points out that she put up towels for oz's privacy when he transfers back so you know because he, he's going to be naked and xander says he can handle oz full monty then he starts panicking he's like not handle like hands to flesh handle and he starts like getting worried that that he's coming off as gay and he's like having a panic attack hashtag no homo <laughs> exactly and like we know that xander has problems and is homophobic in different ways from his experiences with larry But I will say many people have brought up to us on social media 
apparently Joss Whedon and the writers were trying to figure out if they were going to make Xander gay or not. So Mm. it's possible that they're putting stuff like this in to foreshadow like his uncomfortableness with him, with the idea of him and his sexuality early on. I still don't like it. (laughs) Not that I like it. I'm just, I'm saying maybe that's why that's in here. So Willow says that the towels are more for her than Oz because she's still getting used to half a Monty. And Xander starts freaking out about that too. And he's like, half? Which half? And Willow's just like, wouldn't you like to know? So I'm assuming that Willow and Oz have gotten to second base, perhaps, like some heavy petting over the clothes stuff. Yeah, thank you for defining that because I can never remember what the bases are. I don't. I don't uh, understand these things. I don't even really know what a half a Monty would be. <laughs> Is that the, like one testicle? <laughs> uh, the bases are purely my own bases. I don't know if they're everyone else's. but <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think different people probably have slightly different bases. But yeah, that yeah. has always confused me, baseball as a metaphor for sexual progress. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Allosexuals, y'all are weird. Um, <laughs> we are. Yeah, these are just the things where it's like, okay, okay, I, I, I can pretend to get it. Um, I think it's cute, yeah. the the banter here, you know, and, and Willow indicating that she she's pursuing and exploring her sexuality and, and her relationship with Oz. It's really nice. Yeah. This seems a little confusing for me okay. because it's been a couple of months now, mm-hmm. at least, that Oz has learned he's a werewolf. So have they been doing this every single month? But the way that Xander's like coming in, Willow's having to explain to him because she's explaining to us what's going on. It seems like it's the first time Xander's coming here. So has Willow been doing this by herself every month until now? Or the the timeline, the continuity feels a little off to me. Yeah, I can see that. Um, And yeah, it's not very clear what the monthly routine is for these people because why? Why does Willow have to stand guard over him? That's it's also like a really big, you know, dedication of her time because it's uh we, we established right it was the three days around the full moon. Mm-hmm. So the day before, the day of the full moon, or the, sorry, the night before, night of, night after. Don't her parents notice that every month she's like sneaking out of the house for three nights in a row? It's like, you know, I, I admire her dedication to Oz, but I have questions about how practical this solution actually is. <laughs> yeah. I I agree. And I also, I mean, I do believe that cage is foolproof. Obviously, nothing can ever happen to that cage, and it's always going to stay shut. true. Uh, There's nothing that could break that cage down. But It's got a warranty on it. (laughs) No, 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 no. The Rock could do it. Let's be real. (laughs) The Rock could do it. Have you seen that guy? Yes. The Rock could break that cage down. Absolutely. Besides The Rock, though, clearly nothing's taken this cage down. Oh, agreed. That's why I'm like, why does anyone have to watch at all? Like, just find him a more secure location. I don't know, whatever. So Willow leaves and Xander immediately goes to sleep. Right? So that was like the first thing I wrote down in my notes um, was, you know, Xander takes over and immediately goes to sleep. And I'm like, what the hell, dude? Like, it wasn't even that he just like sits in a chair and drifts off. No. He deliberately lies down on the table, which uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. with the book as his pillow and deliberately goes to sleep. And that's just a big fuck you to Willow. Like... We've talked in the past about how Xander can be a mean person sometimes. Mm-hmm. Xander's being a mean person here because it's not even like he's trying to stay awake. And he told Willow he'd stay awake. So he's basically lying to her. Yeah, like she wasn't even out of the library doors before he lay down. Fucking disgrace. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. 
And uh, we all know it. So we go outside. Buffy and Faith are patrolling and having boy talk together. And Faith is asking Buffy about Scott. And I was like, Scott who? And then I was like, oh yeah, Scott. (laughs) Scott's apparently sticking around, so good for him. Buffy's been going on dates with him. And Faith asks if she's getting that good down low tickle from him. And I was like whoa but i was also like okay yeah faith likes sex everybody let's not forget from the first time we met faith that she is a sexual young lady she has the sex i also would be curious if any of our female listeners who were like teenagers when this show was being made Mm -hmm. is this dialogue like really realistic or is this made for tv dialogue right like the whole line about does it give you the good down low tickle (laughs) To me, that seems a little bit childish, right? Like it's that's like the, the network. Like, what can we get past the network sensors, right? Because these days, I think we're a little bit more obvious on TV. Although maybe that's just because I'm watching more stuff like on Netflix and other other places where they can get away with more. But that line really felt stilted to me. Mm-hmm. But maybe that was how teenage girls were talking back then. I don't really know because I'm a little bit younger than that. So mm-hmm. um, well, just curious. It's a funny exchange, but it's also like, okay, wouldn't you just be like, did you do it? <laughs> or maybe that's just them playing up Faith's bad girl persona, right? That she talks in this oh, weird yeah, way. That's, that's a good point. And she, yeah, she's got, yeah, she's got this kind of like slang of her own going on mm-hmm. which i think is a shield mm-hmm. we can talk more about that yeah. um yeah, yeah yeah even more interesting buffy pretends she doesn't know what she's talking about she's like wait how low and i was like buffy come on like you got it on with the angel last year let's not pretend that didn't happen so buffy does say that scott is nice and funny and faith compares him to a muffin and then buffy's like blueberry with the crunchy munchy stuff up top so here is more where i'm like oh god you're (sighs) onto something here like who talks like this and was it 90s talk (laughs) this muffin metaphor so uh basically buffy's saying that her favorite thing about scott is that he doesn't seem to be any kind of hell beast And Faith says, all men are beasts, Buffy. It's realistic. Every guy from Manimal down to Mr. I Love the English Patient has beast in him. I don't care how sensitive they act. They're all in it for the chase. So we we wouldn't be allowed to say that these days because hashtag not all men, right? But (laughs) Faith has basically advanced the thesis of this episode, which we will get into because as we said at the beginning, we're... We have thoughts about how not so good this episode is at handling this idea. So this is the central question, right? Is are men ultimately beasts or is there something redeeming to them? And so, Steph, you were saying you were unsure how to articulate the parallels between Buffy and Angel's storyline and Debbie and Pete, right? And, And I think that's what it comes down to is when is a man's or anybody's beastly behavior when is it justified? Uh, when is it part of our humanity versus being animalistic and unwarranted? Mm-hmm. We can actually just end the episode here because you already said it. Not all men. So cool. That's it. Well, that yep. was nice. I'm glad. I, I hope everybody enjoyed this nice brief episode of Prophecy Girls. I know <laughs> you all hate how long it takes to listen to our episode every week, and it's very annoying. Um, <laughs> cut to credits. <laughs> wait, no. Before oh, we wait, cut before to credits. That. Yeah. <laughs> There is a guy running for his life and he gets dragged off screen. The end. <laughs> Cut to credit. So we had so that's that's you know, that's supposed to be the irony, right? Is Faith has just indicted all men as beasts. Here we have a guy 
running from abuse. So he's the helpless one in this situation. Bittersweet and strange, finding you can change. <laughs> I'm just going to embed Beauty and the Beast throughout this episode. I hope I everyone mean, enjoys it. I, I'm just impressed that you can remember those lyrics and sing them half decently. Oh, when you're ready, Kara, let's go for karaoke. When you're ready for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm always ready, but we're not recording that because it's not good. No, it will be good. It'll be It'll so be bad it's good. So Willow and Oz are walking with Buffy at school. And Willow says, it's not true that every guy is out, out for the chase. That's when Scott comes. And again, we're like, Scott who? Oh, yeah, Scott. <laughs> nice boy, Scott. Well, it feels like the show is constantly... Tr- it, like it's aware that it has to remind us who Scott is. Yeah, and the thing about okay, what I will say for this episode is I actually like Scott. I mean, there's nothing not to like about Scott. Let's get serious, but like, right? I well, like him. I in like this Scott. I don't like his friends. No, his friends can go to hell. But Scott himself <laughs> is actually quite nice in this episode. So he meets up with them, as does as we just said, Debbie and Pete, Scott's friends. And automatically, this is new people. At least Scott survived the last episode. Debbie and Pete are new to this episode, so we know that they're significant. So Oz knows Debbie. He knows Debbie because they were in a marching jazz band together. Pete had gotten Debbie flowers, and we learned that Scott and Buffy are not in the new flower stage of their relationship yet. But they're being like, Kind of cute, because obviously they they got to know each other over their couple. There's of some dates. PDA going on, yeah. Yeah, there's like they've they've coupled up for sure. Buffy says that she has to go and meet the school counselor, and his name is Mr. Platt, and she has to convince him that she's stable and can stay in school. Because remember, that was one of Snyder's rules: is she had to go see to a counselor. And I actually am jazzed. I'm really excited that Buffy is going to a counselor. I think this is a really good thing for her. I don't know if right. it'll end so, up being good, but, you well, know. So I think he's supposed to be like an actual like psychologist or psychotherapist at least, not just like a guidance counselor. Yes. Yeah, he's there to uh, shrink Buffy's head, I suppose, is what they do. <laughs> yeah, as one does. And Debbie says that she's already been going to Platt and he creeps her out, but she's has to go because she's flunking senior bio. And Oz offers to give Debbie notes. And she's like, great. And then the bell rings. And oddly enough, Buffy and Scott kiss before they go to class. And it's like, you don't know, your most typical brother-sister kiss. Like literally zero passion, (laughs) no tongue. You remember Angel and Buffy's first kiss and like how I couldn't stop talking about it for six minutes? Well, this is like, what's going on? (laughs) I'm bored. So we go to the next scene and we're in the library and Giles and Xander are freaking out they're freaking out and they're like we got to check out all the exits all the exit avenues of the library and xander is saying he was there all night and this is as as oz and willow enter and giles is like don't panic this concerns murder (laughs) he's like a male student was found in the woods jeff orkin and oz says that he knows jeff orkin oz knows a lot of people at this school well jeff orkin was also in the marching jazz band very popular jazz band oh i know i actually i really love jazz and i would have loved to see this marching band so giles says that jeff was terribly mauled and he hates to think that it could be the handiwork of dot dot and oz is like me and xander says no it's not you because the room was secured the gate the gate was locked the window unbreakable and then he goes and looks and the window there's a two thoughts here cara so the window's open and he's like the window's open why is there a window in this cage where they think is completely secure all the time. 
They put a lot of things in yeah, there that they think is going to be secure. You put a padlock or something on that window, at least. Like, it looks like Oz the werewolf just, like, reached up, unlatched it, and headed on out. And I like that he came back in the morning if he did indeed escape. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's, like, came back. He's, like, a good dog. Right. So that that's something that the show never establishes, right? Is they never actually tell us, did Oz escape the cage at night? So it's implied that he might have, but... We don't really know for sure. I think the fact that he's back there in the morning implies he didn't. But here we're we're yeah. running ahead of ourselves. So I love this part because when Xander sees that it's open, he's like, "Well, I may have rested my eyes now and then." And Giles is like, "Well, for how long did you rest your eyes for?" And Xander's like, "A little now, a little then." But I never heard Oz leave, and he was here in the morning when I dot dot dot. And Giles yells, "He's like, woke up!" <laughs> like, yeah. Oh Once my God. again, Xander, oh my God. you totally let us down. Like, fuck you. Your incompetence is astounding. You had one thing to do last night. You didn't do You didn't even try to do it. And I love that Giles was pissed at you. And this is your fault. If Oz escaped last night through the window that shouldn't be in that cage, it's your fault, Xander. That's on you. Jeff's death is on your hands. So we cut to the Sykes office, the counselor's office, and Buffy's walking in and he's smoking. He's openly smoking in his office and i was like is this one of those 90s schools where like they're like don't smoke if you smoke you're a slut (laughs) but then when you go to like the teacher's lounge or the principal's office it's like there's smoke just smoke everywhere smoke you know like in the simpsons well well, I, i think this is supposed to be a sign that he's not your typical, you know, school official, right? Because He's a bad boy. <laughs> after he finishes smoking, he, you know, he uses like a, an air spray to like scent, like cover the scent of the smoke. So it's clear he's concealing it. Yeah. So yeah. So he's, yeah, he's your bad boy school psychotherapist. Ooh, he's getting sexier by the minute. <laughs> every every puff, every <laughs> every every word he says, he gets sexier and sexier. So. Buffy comes in and says, reporting for sanity. And she says she has to do this and cooperate, but she doesn't want to talk about her life or childhood or anything of that matter. She doesn't want to be friends. Platt turns around and he's just like, we aren't going to be friends. You have friends, I hope. They're a good thing. They like you, agree with you, tell you what you want to hear, but it's not what you need. What you need is a trained, not too crazy professional who will always give you his honest opinion. And Buffy says, not too crazy. Those are your credentials. And Platt saying that any person, grown up, shrink, pope, any person who claims to be totally sane is either lying or not very bright. Everyone has problems. Everyone has demons. Of course, to that, Buffy agrees. She relates to that. And Platt says that demons can be fought. People can change. You can change. Now your turn. Let's start with why you ran away. And I was like, oh shit, Platt's getting right into it. So this is like... The problem with TV therapy, right, mm-hmm. is they have to elide the amount of time it takes to build trust with your therapist because, of course, you know, they only have so much time in the episode. It's mm-hmm. so, like in reality, right, it would take days, like a week or two Many sessions. to really get to know Buffy and, and then, you know, get to work on this. So that's a little unrealistic. I'm willing to let it slide, you know, TV magic, but it's just like... This is a good depiction of a therapist who's trying his best. You know, he's very earnest. He, he is trying to be honest with Buffy, 
but at the same time like some of what's coming out of his mouth is just it's very like tv therapist talk and he, yeah like i don't know a lot of people know that but sometimes it takes a couple of different therapy sessions um with different people to figure out who you have chemistry with before you're comfortable enough mm-hmm. to just talk about why you ran away that summer you know but this guy i guess he's like buffy's a straight shooter i'm gonna go get right into it within the first 30 seconds of this of this interview so Buffy says she's over it. She's like, I'm moving on. I feel good. I'm dating someone new. And Platt says, all good things, all good things. But you're bringing me in at the end of the movie. And Buffy starts to open up. And she says, I was dating someone. It ended badly. My mom and I were fighting and I freaked. And Platt wants to know more about the bad guy ending, of course. And Buffy says, I loved him. And then he dot, dot, dot. And Platt finishes her her sentence and says, changed. And she agrees. And he's like, he got mean and you didn't stop loving him. Bingo, Platt. And he says, lots of people lose themselves in love. There's no shame. People write songs about it. The hitch is you can't stay lost. Sooner or later, you have to get back to yourself. And Buffy asks, what if you can't? And Platt says, if you can't, love becomes your master and you're just its dog. So, you know, we're seeing again, this episode is going to deal with Buffy and Angel in some way. Um, and, and part of it is they're trying to point out, and we saw this in season two, that in many ways, Angel turning evil is part of this high school as hell metaphor where you start dating a guy and, you know, you have sex with him and then he changes and he gets mean and because and you've you've given it up, you slut. Um, so <laughs> we're carrying on that metaphor and... It's like Platt can understand what Buffy's going through with that lens, even if he doesn't understand that Angel's actually a, a vampire who had a soul. He's like 200 years old. And by the way, I killed him and sent him to hell. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I, I like, I think it's a good scene. Like you said, there's like, you know, obviously TV therapy magic going on here, but I like this exchange. Mm. I'm glad Buffy's starting to talk to somebody about something for once yeah i'm i'm sure she will have a long and fruitful relationship with mr this is the beginning of a beautiful tv relationship i can tell so let's cut to the library where everyone is looking super serious when buffy comes in she's like i'm afraid to ask and cordelia bless her just says oz ate someone last night Oh, Cordelia. I feel like I'd want to hire Cordelia to deliver bad news to people for me. Oh, yeah. She's like in that movie Up in the Air where like she goes to she's hired by companies to fire people. (laughs) She's just she'd be so good at it because you'd be in shock from how blunt she is. Yes, exactly. (laughs) She's so good. She's not in this episode enough. And uh, Willow's like, he did not. And Xander starts making things worse by saying Oz doesn't eat people. It's just werewolf play. You bat around like a like a cat toy. And it's just harmless wolfy fun. And then when people get cut to ribbons, maybe then he takes a little nibble and Giles shuts him up. He's just like, yep. Xander's not helping. Xander, I I do think that's a a funny thing to say, but you're right. Like Xander, again, you shouldn't even be here. You should actually be expelled from the library after what you let happen last night. So I don't know why they still allow you to just hang around. Oz suggests that maybe there's another werewolf roaming the woods and Buffy's like, we'll work together. We'll figure this out. And Giles is like, yep. Buffy will will patrol the woods tonight, and you, you all need to go check out the morgue. 
Giles just sends the teens to go check out we the morgue. We haven't seen the morgue for a while, you know? Like, this will be nice. Giles, you've been in the morgue more times than I can count, so you should have gone to the morgue. And Willow is like, okay, great. We can see if it's a werewolf kill or not. And like, I'm like, because you guys are experts on werewolf kills, I'm confused. But either way, Giles is going to stay home because he's going to research with the materials he has at his house. <laughs> and he says, Faith can watch Oz tonight. And Oz gets annoyed and angry that that like the they're sicking a slayer that they don't they barely know especially yes a bad girl slutty slayer and they're leaving her there to watch him for the night so he starts to leave and willow chases him as he goes out and i like oz again and we pointed pointed this out so many times how honest oz is about what he's feeling and he's like you know that thing when you bail in the middle of, of an upsetting conversation well i have to do that it, i know it's dramatic but it's a necessary thing. It's a guy thing to do, and I need to do it. <laughs> Willow wants that for him, but she's also like referencing that the sun, the sun is setting. So Oz is just like, he's dejected, and he has to go into the cage. And as he's in the cage, Willow goes up to him, and she's just like, Oz? Because she's like worried about him. And he says, get away from the cage. It's going to happen soon. Get away from me. <sighs> Sad. Poor Oz. He doesn't deserve this. It's Xander's fault. This is Xander's fault. It is bewitched, bothered, and bewildered all over again. And no one seems to want to punish him. Don't worry. We're going to take care of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it for everybody, okay? So we go to the woods. Buffy's patrolling. And something's watching her. Something's in the bushes watching her. And suddenly, she gets knocked over by a shirtless man. And oh my god, it's Angel the Vampire. <laughs> so I'll point out, yes, he's shirtless. Last time we saw him, he had no clothes. He managed to find <laughs> pants. Yeah. He's a, he's a wild animal <laughs> who apparently has no sensibility, but he, he was lucid enough at one point that he found a pair of pants in the mansion, knew what they were for, knew that he needed to cover himself up before he left, Yes. put the pants on, but now he's back to acting like a wild animal. <laughs> no one is more upset about the pants than me. Uh, I figured, like, I was going to yeah. ask you, are you like... Th to me, this feels like you're glass half full half empty situation right so is is angel you know half clothed or is he half naked how do you feel about that because he is still shirtless is he full monty or half monty <laughs> yeah he's half monty for you Steph. so hey, is that not better than if you were fully clothed i'm just happy to see angel shirtless and not in a dream sequence being weird and holding buffy you're on the absolutely beach. right it's much better that it's much better that he's shirtless acting like a wild animal and tackling <laughs> Buffy to the ground in the middle of the forest. I mean, can I anyone out there say it's not better? No, no one <laughs> would ever. Uh, but yeah, he attacks her. He attacks Buffy, knocks her over. Oh, what I do want to say, isn't it interesting that he found these pants just like the Hulk, just like the werewolves in Twilight. Everyone always just has pants lying around. It's very convenient. Yeah, there's always extra pants lying around. <laughs> it's an American thing. Yeah, yeah it, must be a, it must be a States thing. So Buffy is stunned. Because she recognizes him because he's he's there. He's in front of her and he, she is, what is going on? She probably thinks she's hallucinating at first, right? Like oh, she's dreaming. been dreaming this. True. She thinks she's been dreaming. She's like, usually he doesn't attack me in my dreams. Usually we're dancing or hugging or something. <laughs> so Willow is at the morgue. At the morgue. These teenagers went to the morgue at night to investigate the dead body. Xander creeps up behind her for some reason. It like plays it off like it's scary. But I'm like, wouldn't they all gone together? Anyway, whatever. Once again, Xander sucks in this episode. Like <sighs> Xander, you know, what's funny. It's like, I actually thought because the very first thing he did was take over for, for Willow. My first note was 
oh, this is a good episode for Xander, probably. And then I erased it. And then you, you backspace. <laughs> delete, 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 delete. Um, You're like, nobody will ever know my shame. <laughs> except now. Also. I always share my shame with you, Cara. You know that. Um, so anyway, but Willow's collecting samples because she is a mortician and she knows what to do. And um, Xander's horrified at the dead body. Cordelia comes in. She's also horrified at the dead body. She says she's scared for life. And they're actually both really impressed that Willow's handling it because Willow's very relaxed, very calm, just like collecting hairs off the body, <laughs> collecting saliva. I don't know what she's getting. And Willow is saying that there are a lot of incised wounds, but they could be from anything. And Cordelia's like, anything with big, sharp teeth. <laughs> and Xander's like, Cordelia, go wait and go to the car and wait. And he like snaps at her. And Willow manages to get a few stray hairs from the body because, you know, the mortician or the, the coroner clearly miss them because they're useless at this at this morgue and or maybe they have so many bodies they just don't have time to get all the hairs so they're like oh are we done and she's like yep and she faints she just like faints right out it's so cute and Xander and Cordelia are like helping her on the ground as she's passed out and they both agree that this is not looking very good for Oz and this guy was clearly ripped apart by a wild animal so we cut to I'm unsure if it's Buffy's room because it's like a no. a chest. Well, the, I, okay, this doesn't make any sense then. Is a oh, chest? No, it does. If you think about it, where is she? Oh, I'm so stupid. Okay, yes, yes. Okay, so anyone who's as stupid as me, um, I thought Buffy had to go to her room, go through her <laughs> old chest of toys and shit because she has one of those, right? And get chains. <laughs> But no, it's Drusilla's chest. It's Drusilla's yes. chest with all the dolls. And okay, of course, of course, of course. All the dolls and all the chains. We've seen those chains before. Oh, she chained yeah. Angel up last season, remember, and tortured him. And then Angel so, chained her up and sexually tortured her. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so now Buffy is chaining up Angel, much the way that Angel was chained up by Drusilla. There's a little bit of a... A parallel there, right? But um, yeah. Buffy's not trying to play with her puppy in this case. Buffy's just trying to keep Angel safe <laughs> and keep others safe. Yeah, and um, that's when Buffy also... So she cha chains him up. Ooh, she's chaining him up. And then Buffy sees the floor with the naked imprint of Angel when he fell from heaven, it looked yeah, you're, like. Yeah, they're not getting that out. They're just going to have to repave the whole <laughs> floor of this mansion. Oh, nothing gets vampire outline out <laughs> like what <laughs> i wonder what buffy's thoughts i just thoughts feel sorry for the realtor who has to sell this place he's like what in the what happened here what's going on so <laughs> so we cut to the library faith is listening to a discman i believe it's a discman and she's dancing yeah. while she's I, I used to have a discman they suck they uh, you can't move around like that with them really they skip no this, but this this is a very 90s early 2000s thing you know, and the outfit she's wearing is just so different from how Buffy would dress, right? Like, this is this is another subtle way that the show is establishing that Faith is very different from Buffy. You know, mm -hmm. if Buffy were supervising Oz, she would be sitting there studying, pining over Angel, bored teenage girl stuff. Faith is all party, 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 also bored, but she, she has a, this hyper energy to her. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's displayed at the end of the, this scene because... Buffy comes in, taps her in the in the, from behind, and Faith punches her uh, by accident. But she just like turns around, just punches Buffy in the face. And... Good instincts. Like Buffy should know better than to sneak up on a slayer. Oh, absolutely. And Buffy's giving Faith the rest of the night off. 
and says that she couldn't sleep so she thought she'd just come and take over and faith is like great i want to get a sleigh in before bed so like you said you said she's got this like energy that she needs to she's get out. hungry and horny baby yeah and look at the way she dresses like what a skank <laughs> <laughs> this show's really, really, as much as the show wanted us to know that Angel was a vampire, they want us to know that Faith is a bad girl, non-virgin. <laughs> so this is funny too. This is actually hilarious. This might be the funniest thing we've ever seen in this entire show, where Buffy starts to look through the index files for books to research what she just uncovered. And I was like, what are you going to look up, Buffy? Are you going to look up ex-boyfriend back from hell like what what are you looking up in the index yeah yeah i think it would be hell comma return from (laughs) i know and she finds stuff she finds books because the next morning okay another funny thing the next morning giles comes in and he has a coffee and he like he's just short of whistling as he's going to work and he (laughs) he unlocks the cage where Oz is sleeping naked, right? And he's just like, no big deal. Like, doesn't bat an eye, just opens the cage for him. And I'm like, damn, Giles has definitely seen naked men in cages before. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. That was probably part of his kink. Um, and there'd be no <laughs> custodian coming through, cleaning the school at this point, nope. and being like, why, do we, why is there a wolf in a cage here? No, nope. um, no one wants that job. The last one went to jail for shooting another teacher. <laughs> so... Yeah, Sunnydale, Sunnydale does not have a good record with its staff or its <laughs> students. It's, yeah, okay, but here's... It's sad. Okay, so it's funny because he finds Buffy sleeping with all these books. And I will add here, you know, no one chastises Buffy for sleeping on the job. But probably because she didn't mean to fall asleep, where Xander intentionally did it. But he wakes her up and he notices that she was reading Exploring Demon Dimensions and The Mystery of a Cathla. <laughs> I'm glad somebody wrote a picture book for kids about a Catholic. I was like, I know, I like, we already know from from the episode Witch in season one, we know that there's an occult section at this library. But like, Giles, surely these books would be in your personal collection, not indexed in the library. Uh. <sighs> I found that so funny. I was like, what is going on here? And Buffy is trying to like blow it off and say that she had a dream about Angel and that's what brought up these questions and Giles has such a good zinger where he's like uh, well that's to be expected and it must have been some dream as he didn't think she knew what a card index was for. (laughs) Right so I mean some of our younger listeners might not know so card catalog is how libraries used to organize their books and some some libraries still do to this day although they have electronic databases as well so instead of looking up a book on a computer using a search engine. You'd go to like a big uh, cupboard full of these little slots, these little drawers. You'll see it in these older TV shows and movies. And what you could do is you could pull out, um, in alphabetical order, different subjects or titles. So there'd be cards sorted by both subject and title. And so everything was cross-referenced. So if you knew the title, you could open it up and find... Um, the the index card for the book and where it was located in the library. If you knew a subject, you could go by subject and they'd have a list of books that you could, could then look up. So it was, it, it's a really ingenious way of organizing books. What did you say? And I don't know why you're laughing, Steph. I just love talking about libraries. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, for, first of all, we need a jingle that says like, history with Kara. Because once in a while you do these and it's great. Um, but the other one is that, like, what did you say earlier? Like, like returned, comma, ex-boyfriend or something. <laughs> That's like an example. Hell, comma, returned from. 
<laughs> that's an example of what you would look up in one of these index cards. Yeah. Uh, so, so Buffy is basically, she basically tells Giles what happened, but she couches it by saying it was a dream because she's not ready to tell Giles that Angel's really back. So she's like, what if I dreamed that Angel came back? And Giles is interpreting this as, well, Buffy is still feeling guilty about Angel and him killing, Buffy killing Angel. So they sit down and they have like a nice little heart to heart. And he tells her, he's like, you know, I used to dream uh, right after Jenny died that she was still alive um, and that he managed to save her in time. Mm. Right. So he's kind of opening up to her, which I think is really sweet. Yeah. Um, And then Buffy, of course, you know, she says, no, like, this dream was more real. And Giles is like, what, like a prophecy dream? Because that's part of Buffy's power suite as a, a slayer. And so Buffy's like, well, I'm not sure. She's like, that's why I'm researching it. She's like, I don't, like, could that happen? Could Angel come back? So she knows Angel's back, but she's not ready to talk about it, which I think is very realistic. And Giles says he doesn't know. He says there's no record of anyone coming back from a demon dimension. Um, and then Buffy's like, well, well, what would it be like there? And hello, Buffy, it's hell. So Giles is like, it's a place of unimaginable, brutal torment. And also time passes differently there. So not only would Angel have been tortured during his time in hell, but it wouldn't have been a couple of months. It would have been like hundreds, maybe even like thousands of years, right? So he'd be so tortured. Like imagine not being able to die, being tortured for that amount of time. You know, so even if he came back, he'd be like a wild animal, like a beast. Mm-hmm. So this is all falling into place. And and Buffy says, you know, like, so if he came back like that, would he be a lost cause? Or would it be possible to rehabilitate him into the person we once knew? And again, Giles, I mean, not especially helpful in this conversation, but he's like, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but again, he, he he lays down some of this, this episode's somewhat wishy-washy um, exploration of its thesis. Mm. And he says, you know, there are two types of monsters. There are monsters who want to be redeemed and therefore can be. Uh, and there are people, there are monsters who have lost their humanity uh, and they don't respond to reason or love. And what's interesting to me, right, is you could look at that in one sense as like, well, there's people with souls, so we could try to redeem them. But then there's people who don't have souls, right? So like vampires without souls, you can't ever get them to see the good. You know, they can behave in good ways if it's to their advantage, but they're not going to be good, you know, of their own accord. So that's interesting to me. Yeah. But uh, we're going to see this see this binary, this duality applied later on in the episode. I'm not sure I agree with it. What I noticed in this Uh, conversation that Giles and Buffy were having is Giles also says that it would take someone of extraordinary will and character to to survive that and retain any semblance of self. Oh, well, then Angel's doomed. Well, Angel clearly will not ever get semblance of himself back. Uh, But that's, I like that they put that in there because... I mean, I'll talk about it later, maybe why I like it so much. But I think it's important that they added that in because obviously, after all these years of torment, like who could possibly survive that, right? Who with the character and will... And handsomeness to do it. We'll find out. Xander. <laughs> Take it back. Take it back, you dirty girl. <laughs> so that's when Willow comes in with donuts. Yay! Yes, Willow. Yes, you're on. I mean, Willow, I've, I, you know, the last episode or two, I've been like, no, Willow, no. But yes, with this, I love when people show up with donuts. <laughs> 
So Buffy says, oh, asks Willow if she couldn't sleep. And Willow says, but why are you awake, Buffy? This time it's not your boyfriend who's the cold-blooded. And as she's saying this, Oz is coming up behind her from out of the cage. And she just, you know, realizes he overheard what she said. And she offers him a donut. And Buffy asks how the body inspection went. And Willow tries to change the subject and says it wasn't conclusive. And Buffy gets really intense here because obviously she's thinking about Angel. And she says, how could it not be conclusive? What did it look like? Was he bit? And you, like, it's clear that Buffy is really worried about whether or not Angel is the one who's doing these attacks. And Giles is like, Buffy, let Willow finish. And that's when Buffy realizes and says she's sorry. And that's, that's that. We cut to the cafeteria where Buffy is meeting up with Scott and Debbie and Pete. Remember them from the beginning of the episode? And... She's only eating jello for lunch, which I respect. She tells Scott that she's out of it that day. She didn't sleep very well. And Debbie's like, don't tell Platt. He'll make you start a dream journal. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with dream journals, Debbie. Don't be so afraid of therapy, okay? And Pete makes a joke about that being like a Barbie thing. Clearly belittling Debbie's therapy. This is where I decided I don't like Debbie and Pete. Yeah, Debbie and Pete... They're not your real, your real friends, Scott. I think you can do better. <laughs> not that I care too much about who Scott hangs out with, but they're trying to make me care. So he, there it is. Uh, and Buffy says that uh, she likes Platt, and Debbie's like, really? I don't like the things that he says. And Scott says that his mom says that therapy can be completely helpful. And that's when Pete decides to say, your mom has the wattage of a Zippo lighter. And I was like, that's a mean your mama joke. Like, what? Like, why? Really, well, this is why I said I don't like Pete, right? Like, because you don't make fun of your friends that way. Like, if Scott's really your friend, you wouldn't make fun of him that way and make fun of his mom. And I mean, we're getting the sense from this scene that Pete is a misogynistic asshole. And um, the show's not being subtle about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Scott grabs Buffy by the hand and says, you look great today. I was going to tell you you look great today, but you didn't sleep well, so I'll raise it to amazing. And I was like, that's sweet, Scott. And then Buffy... I didn't like it. You didn't like it? I was like, well, you didn't have to say anything. You could have just been like, eat your jello. <laughs> but he gave her a compliment. And Buffy says, it's sweet, but then she gets so weirded out and leaves. And Pete says, check out Scotty liking the manic depressive chick. <sighs> There's so many Xanders in this episode. <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. Pete is different from Xander. I'm willing to give him that, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciate. You know, I appreciate that this episode is showing us that there's many different ways to be toxically masculine. Yes. Great. <laughs> we, we really want to see them all. <laughs> so uh, Buffy goes to the mansion and that's when she sees Angel all huddled up, huddled up there, still shirtless, but pants on. And she says, Angel, as in hoping that he'll recognize her. Maybe, you know, what Giles is saying isn't true. Maybe he's not just an animal. And she does this thing where she like approaches him and then goes to touch him. And I'm like, Buffy, no, like, you don't let's just go and touch a bear. Like, you got to like work your way up, you know? And of course he attacks her. So she runs away. And we cut to Pete, who's convincing Debbie to have sex with him in the garage like the school garage it's very unclear where they are (laughs) i i said sunnydale high's garage which is probably right next door to that secret pool basement that we got to see pool basement abandoned science building like (laughs) so many things so that's when (laughs) he notices an empty green goo jar (laughs) 
Debbie tries to distract him from noticing it. And he's like, Debbie, did you drink that? And she's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, Debbie, what's going on? And they so, cut to. So, so this is, you know, like, this is the part where I'm like, okay, the episode is going downhill really fast because nothing. This came out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm like, did I change to a different episode? Like, were we supposed to have a scene earlier where we see Pete mixing up a batch of glowing <laughs> of green goo? Like, it's just, this comes out of nowhere, but it seems like we're supposed to know what's going on, and it just really disturbs me. She, like, when did Debbie drink all of Pete's ooze? Like, no one, they never showed us this earlier. So that's probably why they're confusing us. They know this. So they cut to the counselor's office. Buffy barges in, and she's like, don't turn around and don't say anything. Just listen. And then she kind of has this monologue where she says there's something going on. This entire story is going to convince you that I'm loony bin material, but there's no one else I can talk to. Not Willow, not Giles, nobody. If they found out, they'd freak on me and they'd do something. I need help. I need to talk to someone. I'm so scared. It's this guy. He's come back, dot, dot, dot. And that's when she notices that Platt, his cigarette has been sl- has been mostly like burned to the tip and he's just sitting very still. And then we pan back and we see that poor... Counselor Platt has been murdered, mauled. Um, I'm not actually sure what it looks like his eye is missing. He is not in good shape. <laughs> that is not gonna be an open casket funeral, I can tell you that much. It is not. And it's also he's also prime and ready for Willow to come investigate the body. <laughs> She's so good at it. So, oh no, oh no, another teacher dead on campus. Pete is still pissed that his ooze is missing. So Debbie says that she was trying to get rid of it to help him. She's like, you know how you get. And he starts shaking with rage and he's clenching his fists. And he says, when I drink it, nothing, Debbie, nothing. I I don't need this anymore. I'm way past that. And he starts breaking all his glasses and loud noises. And you know, I get more anxious when they start breaking stuff violently. And then he says... You could pour out everything I made and it wouldn't help you. You want to know why? All it takes now is you, Debbie, you and your stupid grating voice. And he starts morphing. His face like starts like doing like really like violent movements. And then he turns into this red, veiny, toxic, masculine demon. And he says, you're the reason I started the formulas in the first place to be the man you wanted. You pay me how? By whoring around with guys and taunting me. And Debbie's panicking. And he hits her and he throws her down to the ground. He says, is that something your shrink taught you, Debbie, to share, communicate and piss me off? And he's like punching her. He's like beating on her. And as he's beating her, he's yelling like he's he's not going to listen to her pathetic rambling anymore. He's like, I'm all you got, Debbie. Do you hear me? I'm all you've got. And Debbie's crying. And suddenly he calms down and Pete morphs back into his self and he looks down and she's crying and bleeding on the floor and he goes to comfort her and he's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't make me mad. You know what happens. And he's like, Debbie, please. And then he kisses her forehead and then Debbie takes him by the head and, and comforts him. And she says, it's okay. <sighs> I okay. know. Yes. Um, so I, I feel I feel bad like saying this because it, it feels so obvious to me, but I feel like we can't not talk about it this way so i hope that for most people watching this 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 is pretty obviously a parallel with not just domestic violence but like alcoholism right so the green goo 
is Pete having a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. And Debbie trying to get rid of the goo is Debbie trying to throw away all his alcohol. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's saying, and because she's saying, like, I don't like you when you're drunk all the time. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, well, I don't need the alcohol to be strong. But I started drinking so much because I thought I needed it to live up to your expectations of how I should be as a man. Right. So, like, it's just so thinly veiled. And this is what. This is what gets me about this episode is if you want to do an episode about domestic violence and alcoholism, do an episode about that. And, and I, I do enjoy, for the most part, how Buffy the Vampire Slayer can use supernatural storytelling to talk about serious issues, especially issues that affect teenagers. But I think there's a time and a place to strip away the supernatural aspect of it. And, and to truly, you know, talk about the monsters among us. And that's not happening here. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a it's a cop-out for the show to say that this green goo, which is never adequately explained, um, is the reason why Pete is turning into this monster. I, To be fair, I think the show does make it clear that Pete was and would be abusive regardless of this magic goo. So I, I'm not trying to say that the show is like saying like that's the cause. But it seems like an unnecessary supernatural element here where they could have just made it about drinking and about having a drinking problem and beating on your girlfriend. Yeah, I agree. I think I mean, it's interesting because the show is really good at taking these issues and spinning it on the horror trope and, you know, making it what Mm -hmm. as we know the show is to be. But they've done this better in the past and we've seen abusive Mm -hmm. relationships in the past on the show like in the episode ted where they do it with a little bit more not even little they do it with more grace you might remember i i had a similar objection Mm -hmm. with ted right where i'm like why did they have to make him a robot so Mm -hmm. my criticism here probably won't come as a surprise to our listeners and i will say also like other than that like this scene is well done right like anybody who has any familiarity whatsoever with domestic abuse will recognize what's going on in the scene. You know, it hits all the major tropes right down to Debbie going from being terrified to comforting him at the end. Yeah. Because that is what survivors of abuse do with their abusers. Mm -hmm. So I I think this is a really good scene. But why? Like, it just comes out of nowhere. Like, why is the whole episode not about this? And I understand, as we'll talk about later, that there are supposed to be parallels between Pete and Debbie and Buffy and Angel, and Willow and Oz, and we can talk about that. But just the way that this episode is organized and the story is told, it frustrates me because they could have talked about this as its own dedicated episode. It bothers me that they didn't. Yeah, because there's two, like you just mentioned, those other two couples. They have supernatural things going on, vampire and werewolf. It would have been interesting to see a teenage couple going through something that is actually quite realistic, which is the alcoholism and the abuse. So... Missed and we're like 30 minutes into the episode already, right? Mm-hmm. Like, bring it up earlier. Like, show us Pete being abusive earlier so we know that that's going to be a significant part. Because this was a bit of a shock. Show him wiping that ooze off his face when he comes to meet yeah. Debbie earlier. Uh, yeah. So that's when we cut to the library and Giles is saying that the creature is especially brutal. Pureed is how the coroner described Platt. And I was like, oh my God, these chatty adults in Sunnydale. The coroner just like allowed Giles to ask any question he wanted. And he told him everything he wanted to know. And he's like, Platt was killed shortly before Buffy found him during the day. So Willow cheers at that. And 
And then she's like, oh, but it's also horrible. But she's like happy because so obviously Oz didn't Once do again, it. everything is moving very quickly, right? Like the coroner showed up right away, examined the body, <laughs> I guess, on site, told Giles what was going on. They've taken the body away. Now they're convening in the library. It's like, it's been like this is all moving really it's fast. It's been like half an hour. Uh, and yeah, and I, I mean, it's also because as soon as we see that it's Pete that's turning into this demon, Oz is off the hook immediately, right? And they notice that Oz isn't there, and that's because Oz is waiting by the fountain outside the school, waiting for Debbie, who runs up and says that she's sore, she's late, and she's there to get the notes from him for, for from class that he mentioned earlier. And he notices her black eye, and he says, are you okay? And she says, she's such a klutz, you know, and Oz is like, oh, did you fall and hit your eye? And she's like, yeah, I was a doorknob, and the cl- classic excuse, and Pete is watching this exchange from afar and Oz offers to talk. You know, he's like, I'm here if you need to talk. Right. And she just smiles and says, thank you. And leaves with his notes. And so does Pete. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm mad. So Giles is saying they're looking for a depraved sadistic animal. And then Oz walks in and says present. <laughs> so what Willow says it was a kill in the day monster. 100% for sure. And Oz is like, okay, Okay, and it's like it's like it's good. So Oz is off the hook. He feels better. Giles says there are two victims. Maybe they have something in common. Oz points out that it's Debbie because Jeff was in their jazz marching band, and they were friends. And Debbie has been seeing Platt and said she didn't like him. Oz also says that that she had a black eye. So Buffy is like, well, it must be the boyfriend Pete. And Giles says they need to find them both immediately. And Oz has to lock himself in the cage because it's almost sundown. So we cut to the girls' bathroom where Debbie is putting makeup over her bruises. And I was like, Debbie, it's like it's like 5.30 p.m. Go home. <laughs> like, wait, just go home. But maybe maybe she doesn't want her parents to see. Are you okay? Go to the bluffs. <laughs> like, go to the lover's lane. <laughs> go to the bronze. Um, but Buffy says, Buffy and Willow come in and Buffy says, uh, you know what covers up the bruises? Don't get hit. Ugh. Oh. Buffy, this is uncharacteristic of you, Buffy. Yeah, it's a bad line. Don't get hit. Like, don't blame Debbie for getting hit. Stop that. Stop that, Buffy. No. And Buffy says, what's going on, Debbie? I bet the farm you know. And Debbie denies it. And Buffy is getting intense again. And she's like, people are dying here. And Debbie says it's not his fault. He's not himself and he gets like this. It's me. I make him crazy. He does what he does because he loves me too much. And... Yeah, and you know, the whole Pete's not like other guys. And Buffy says, you need to talk to us or we can't help you until you do. And Debbie says she didn't ask for their help. And Willow says, well, when are you going to? Because if Pete kills you, it'll be too late and they're running out of time. (sighs) So they're not being very sympathetic here. And also this scene just made me think about Buffy's reputation among the Sunnydale High students. You have to wonder like, how many times has Buffy walked into the girl's bathroom, maybe with Willow, maybe without, and, like, talked to somebody going through something something supernatural? Like, the, the other students at the high school must know something is up with Buffy at this point. Surely. But Buff, Buffy is the person who fixes things. If somebody, if something weird's happening, if somebody died in the locker room, you know Buffy Summers is going to come and do something. Um, and it just, it's interesting to me, right, because... We don't see that angle of Sunnydale High. We're always seeing it from the perspective of the Scoobies who know what's going on. And it just, you know, if we if we looked at it from the perspective of another student, even somebody like Debbie, who isn't privy to what's going on, mm-hmm. it's like, 
how would you see Buffy Summers in that case? It's like, oh shit, Buffy's talking to me. Something crazy must be going on. We, I get the impression that the other students find Buffy creepy because remember in Go Fish, I don't know why we always come back to Go Fish. It was a very important episode, clearly. <laughs> but remember they say like, oh, that Buffy Summers girl gives me the creeps. And they all like kind of like have that opinion yeah. of her, I think, because she reminds them of the supernatural in the, in the well, town. Well, but I, I think, that, but you have to remember that was a specific group of toxic boys, right? Mm-hmm. So of course she gives them the creeps because she's powerful and strong and she's not going to take her bullshit. True. But there's probably other segments of the student body who might view Buffy more favorably, shall we say. Fair enough. And while they're having this talk, we cut to Angel, who's still shirtless and pulling on all the chains that he that are tying him up. Uh, and it's interesting that they cut back and forth from Angel during this conversation. I don't think it's just for pacing. I think it's uh, reminding us that, oh, Angel's back in town and they're having this conversation about <laughs> Debbie's abuse. Well, they're, they're having a conversation about love and what love is mm-hmm. and how you show your love and how is it acceptable to use violence to uh, when you're involved with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Like not even, I'm not talking about like hitting somebody, but like, you know, Debbie is trying to defend Pete by saying he is violent because he loves me so much. I drive him crazy. Right. And this is one of those parallels, right? Where it's like, well, Angel loved Buffy so much, even when he didn't have a soul, it was driving him crazy. And he was very violent. And it's like, do you kind of see how, how the episode now flipping back to Angel, he's like, he's this animal coming back from hell. Does he still love Buffy? Does he recognize her? Mm-hmm. Does he maybe sense that Buffy's going to be in danger in a moment? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the bathroom and Buffy is really like leaning on Debbie here. She's like, where can we find Pete? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Debbie says, I don't know. And what are you going to do about it? And like, I just, I don't understand. Like Willow's like, wrong question. Like Debbie is not the bad guy here, guys. Like, why are you treating her so harshly? Stop attacking Debbie. Buffy like grabs Debbie and shoves her in front of the bathroom mirror and says, look at yourself. Why are you protecting him? Buffy, like you should understand why you're, why she's protecting him because it's a complicated thing that's going on here. And Debbie's like, well, you know, like, they're going to take him away from me. I couldn't do that to him. I miss everything. And Buffy's like, great. You two can live out your little grim fairy tale. Two people are dead. Who's going to be next? And Buffy, this, this was hard for me. Yeah. I, I can't. People who are survivors of any type of domestic abuse, whether it's physical or emotional or whatever, they it's never their fault. Uh, it doesn't matter how much they enable the abuser. It doesn't matter how much they defend them lie for them, cover it up. It's not their fault because at the end of the day, there's a power imbalance at work where the abuser has taken away their power and they are doing, It's we call them survivors for a reason. They're doing their best to survive. So for Buffy to steamroll over Debbie like this is so insensitive. And I understand that Buffy's trying to save lives, but I cannot condone Buffy's activities here. Yeah. And I think Buffy, like obviously she doesn't realize what a hypocrite she's being too to like put this all on Debbie and make it seem like it's Debbie's fault that she can't stop herself from loving him, that she can't leave him. But it's like, Buffy, you couldn't kill Angel last year when you knew no. he was evil. You you simply said you weren't ready and all those people died. And I think- uh, like, Jenny died. <laughs> Jenny died. It's the guilt, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's just interesting that like, again, these parallels are being drawn here, but it, it's tough. It's done in a way that's making our hero not come off. Um, I think they could have- let her be a lot more sympathetic toward 
Debbie here. We cut to Oz in a cage and Pete approaches and says, since when you, do you touch my girl? <laughs> Jeez, Pete. And Oz says, this is kind of a bad time. And Pete starts rattling the cage. Oh no, but the cage is like steel. So nothing's going to happen to it. And Oz starts to warn him that when the sun sets and dot, 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 Pete says, you won't be alive to see it. And Oz says, something's going to happen that you probably won't believe. And then Pete transforms into his toxic, veiny self. And Oz says, or you might. (laughs) Then Pete just grabs the door of the cage and just tears it off (laughs) and throws it across the room. And I was like, surely if toxic Pete can pull that cage door off, so could Oz, like as a werewolf. Surely. But regardless, Debbie is saying that she's just like sitting on the bench in the locker room now or the bathroom just being like, he loves me. He does love me. He does love me over and over. And Willow says, I think we broke her. And Buffy says, I think she was broken before this. She leaves to go find Pete. And I was like, oh, Buffy. So Pete and Oz are fighting and he's saying stuff like, did you kiss the whore? Did you like it? And it's like, ah. And finally the sun sets and Oz stands up and says, time's up, rules change. And he morphs into a werewolf and the two keep fighting. And Giles, Faith, Buffy, Willow, and Debbie all run into the library. And Buffy goes to shoot Oz with the trank. But Debbie shouts, Pete, watch out! And pushes Buffy over. So she accidentally shoots Giles in the back. With the trank gun, and Giles says, Right, bloody priceless, and passes out. So, once again, Giles gets knocked out at the climax of the episode. Keep, wouldn't this kill him? Like, I remember back in phases, they said the trank guns could put down a baby elephant. Like, someone check on Giles. Maybe it's a. Yeah, like maybe it's a lighter dosage. I don't know. I hope um, so. I hope for we should sake. definitely check on. We should always check on Giles because this guy <laughs> bloody priceless. So anyway, the werewolf takes off. Buffy gives the trink gun to Faith and tells her to follow it. And then Buffy goes to beat up Pete, who throws a bookshelf on her and then runs out of the library. And he like jumps these lockers to go out this like hallway window. And I was like, oh, interesting. They're like using all layers of this hallway. A little bit of parkour. Yeah, lots of parkour. So two things. It's very interesting to me, Steph, that you're referring to Oz as the werewolf. Yeah. Oh, they're not the same person to me. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. I just want to point out how easily Buffy makes a decision to delegate getting Oz with the tranquilizer gun to Faith. Mm -hmm. Faith hasn't been around for that long, but they're, they're functioning pretty well as a team. And Buffy in this situation, she's the leader, she's in charge. And even though Buffy is, she's dealing with a lot emotionally, we're seeing how when there's a clear and present danger, Buffy can switch that off and deal with whatever's in front of her. So she makes this split second decision. Faith, Trank Gun, go get the werewolf. I'll deal with Pete. And I just, I I love that. Like Mm -hmm. it's showing her confidence Mm -hmm. and Faith, you know, doesn't argue, isn't like, oh, I want to fight Pete. She's like, yep, no, I'm on it. Which also says something good for Faith. Yeah, there's a cooperation going on here and it'll totally last and it's really nice to see. But I think it's interesting too because Faith, like we talked about this when we first met her, uh, about her age and her position. And it seems like she's very open to Buffy being in charge 
and that it's Buffy's school, it's Buffy's life, it's Buffy's friends and everything. And so far, Faith is actually really okay with that. Part of me is like, oh, it's because she's new. Part of me is because I think she's younger than Buffy. But you're right. It does actually fare really nicely with her character at the moment. So where has Pete gone? He went to the school garage where, <laughs> where Debbie is waiting for him. So I guess that's like their little meetup. And she's she goes and hugs him and she says oh my god she almost shot you did you see i stopped her you need to leave you need to get out of sunnydale because she knows and pete is so angry and he's like how does she know debbie did you run your big mouth debbie says it seemed like she already knew and then he pushes her to the ground and he says what did i expect from a screw-up like you you're nothing but a waste of space as he approaches her and that's when we cut to Buffy, who sees that the there's a bunch of blood at the window where Pete jumped out of. So she parkours it up there and follows him out, sees that there's a light in the garage. Where are they, the garage? So Buffy goes in there and she sees Debbie on the ground. And I put in my notes that she might be dead, but she's dead, right? Like he killed her. Yeah, it's, it's not, I don't think it's like ever established, right? Like they don't say outright that she's dead, but yeah. she doesn't come back. No, and it and like I think just the way she's lying there, it's pretty clear that he killed her, and he attacks her Buffy from behind, and that's when we cut to Oz, who's attacking Faith, and they're rolling around, and she's screaming for the gun, and <laughs> Willow grabs Oz's tail, and then runs, and the werewolf follows her, and that's when Faith grabs the trank and shoots Oz to the ground, <laughs> and Willow yells, "Get the gun! Get the gun!" <laughs> Right? Like, she knows what she's doing. She knows she only has a few moments. And I just, it's, yeah. Willow, you're great. Yeah, yeah. She's good in this episode for sure. And um, so Buffy and Pete are fighting and he's yelling at her, you're all the same. And then suddenly we hear a lion's roar and Angel is in his vamp face and he comes out of nowhere and he starts wailing on Pete with the chains. And they're fighting for a while and Pete knocks angel over and starts to advance on buffy again and that's when angel stops him from behind and breaks his neck and as buffy stares angel is like looking around then he sees buffy and he's he slowly approaches her and then his face goes back to his human face and he says buffy and he falls to his knees and he starts to hug her and he says buffy again so he does recognize her and he knows enough to say her name and buffy starts to cry and i got teary-eyed because, <laughs> because why why wouldn't i and i i hate the parallel here because obviously they pan away of buffy crying angel clinging to her and then we see the dead bodies of debbie and pete lying on the ground so right so so the parallel here right is pete was a monster despite debbie and in a way that was hurting debbie angel is a monster in defense of buffy and to save buffy right mm -hmm. so the fact that like, Buffy couldn't kill Pete because he's technically still human. So I think Buffy would have crossed a line if she had killed Pete. Angel can kill Pete because Angel is also a monster. So it was necessary for the, the episode to have Angel kill Pete. Mm -hmm. But he's doing it in service to Buffy, yeah. right? He's defending Buffy, which is very different from Pete's motivations. So this goes back to that duality that Giles was exploring where he's like, well, some monsters want to be redeemed. They can be redeemed. And of course, that has been Angel's M.O., from before the beginning of the series, That's right? Angel. <laughs> yeah. And we're seeing that here. And maybe he's not recovered enough from his trip to hell to understand his motivations. He doesn't have the same lucidity and cogency that he would normally have. 
but there is an instinctive part of him. There's the beast part, but there's also the part of him that still loves Buffy, or at least that's what the show is trying to show us. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm just a little bit like... <laughs> I don't... I'm not, I'm not on board fully. Yeah, I, I'm not loving that. I'm not. Um, but I do... This is why I, I was clinging on to what Giles said earlier, where it takes a certain type of person to be able to come back from the experience he had in hell and the very fact that he at the end of this episode is saying Buffy I think they did that in service of Angel's character because obviously a person like Angel who like you said his MO is conquering the beast and becoming a good person in some way it's showing us that he's able to hold on to himself and perhaps Buffy's the key to that (sighs) okay so Willow, Oz, Xander, Cordelia, and Buffy are walking on campus the next day, and they're talking about Pete and, De- and Debbie. And like you said earlier, they don't actually say that they died. They just they just say everyone's talking about them, so we can assume that they died. And everyone knows what happened except for the monster part. And Oz says that a freshman told him that Pete had eight ice cafe mochas and lost it. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> That's not why you people kill each other. And Buffy said that she heard he took all of his mother's birth control pills. Yeah, she says it's better than the estrogen theory, which as somebody who is taking estrogen, uh, not a fan of that comment, Buffy, because yeah. I got to tell you, uh, taking estrogen, suppressing your testosterone definitely mellows you out. So <laughs> if anything, it'd have the, it would have the opposite effect. It's the opposite. Anyone taking estrogen would never kill Debbie. So... Cordelia says that he didn't. He was a monster. Where have I been? (laughs) Which I love. And actually, this is the only line of Xander's I like in this episode, besides his nibbly comment earlier, where Xander says, in your special place, Cor, which is why I adore you. And I'm like, oh my God, it took us like a whole season, a whole half a season last season and this season for him to say something nice to her. (laughs) There it is. I don't think that's nice, though. I think he's making fun of her. Oh, shit. You're right. (laughs) Every every corner I turn. Every time you try to give Xander credit for something. I try. I try to give this guy a little space and I cannot. He's the only character in here that will never get it in any way, shape, or form. So Willow is describing Pete's condition as a Jekyll Hyde deal. And he took a super macho potion. Thanks, Willow. We wouldn't have made that connection without you. Willow, thank God you're here. Because (laughs) never, like, What? What? This episode is so unsubtle. (laughs) Because he took that super macho, she calls it super macho potion. And I was like, it's called green goo. Okay, that's what we're calling it. And (laughs) he took it to stop Debbie from leaving him. And Cordelia says, so it was a killing, but he wasn't under the influence or anything. And then Buffy agrees. And Cordelia is like, well, now I'm going to be stuck with serious thoughts all day. (laughs) So Buffy sees Scott, who's sitting alone. And he's sitting alone because his only two friends are dead and i'm like that's actually quite sad scott like this is why i felt i'm like okay scott you're trying really hard to be nice to our hero buffy so i i I like that in you but here i actually felt sympathy for him because he's from what i can tell these are his only two friends and he tells buffy that he has been friends with them since before they started school and Buffy is saying, is there anything she can do? And he just says he'll be okay. But he, he's like, you never know what's going on inside somebody. You think you do because you care about them, but you never really do. And that's when we cut to Buffy's voiceover, still reading from Call of the Wild. And she is at the mansion staring at Angel while he's sleeping on the floor. And her look is one of concern, 
but I think she's also very conflicted, obviously like confused, like why is he back? What does this mean? And how do I still feel about him? Because he said my name and he saved my life. What does this mean? And then I also wonder if she's trying to, if this is the parallel as well, right? She's thinking about what happened to Debbie and Pete and how that might mimic a situation that's going on here, this abusive angle that we're, we're taking. So yeah, that's the end. All right. Well, um, I had trouble picking a hero for this episode. I'm going to be honest, but I think I'm going to come down on the side of Angel. <gasps> I picked Angel too. Yeah, like it was just, it was tough because <laughs> this episode was so muddy that it was hard for me to figure out like, well, who's actually wrapping up this conflict? Who's resolving it? Yes. So at the end, I just, I picked Angel because he kills Pete. He saves Buffy in a way. Like mm-hmm. he, he is heroic despite being abused. So yeah. It seems like the simplest thing to do. You see my notes. I wrote Angel laugh out loud <laughs> because I didn't know who else to pick. Yeah. Like yeah. It, the episode didn't make it easy. No, I'll, I'll also give a shout out to Giles for yelling at Xander and the only person who ever seems to punish him for something, even if it's just verbally. Fair. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Giles, speaking we have Giles. a hot steak from Erica. Yes. Hot uh, who was listening to Becoming Part One, our episode from last season in which you and I were just kind of making fun of the fact that Giles is seen as this like renowned expert on antiquities, but he's stuck in Sunnydale. Um, So Erica had some thoughts on that and says, Giles has been mentioned as being a big deal in the pilot when Willow said he used to be at the British Museum or a British Museum. Um, So Erica says, I assumed that meant he was in charge of it, which, you know, fair reading. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the case, but like I appreciate you bringing that back from the first episode and reminding us of that connection. And I also wonder if like the Watchers Council, perhaps they come off as like a big British museum. Like we don't know where they live. We don't know if they're at like some sort of building, like an office building where they all meet. Like perhaps it just like comes off as a big museum in Britain somewhere. And mm-hmm. that's where all the Watchers come from. Therefore, that's why they're all experts at the British Museum. <laughs> I like that a lot. I always love a hot steak about Giles. So everyone, keep them coming. We love them. We really do. And uh, yeah, shout out to some new Scoobies who've joined us on Buy Me a Coffee. Our Scoobies. We got Zoe. Thank you very much. And uh, also Sylvia. So thank you for joining us. Sylvia, thank you for telling us you love the Xander slander. (laughs) They included that in their uh, message to us when they supported us. So really appreciate all the... uh, the support and the positivity, both financially and just all your messages. Keep them coming. Send us some hot steaks. We love it. Send us your own Xander slander, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks everyone so much. Um, again, Car, this was this episode was whatever to you and I. We said that before we started recording. But again, talking it over with you. It's fun to talk about. It and, is, and yeah. Yeah, I just, I appreciate, I appreciate that they're trying to tackle these issues. But I'm also going to call it out when I don't think they do a good job. That's fair. And hopefully, you know, if they ever tackle this type of domestic abuse and alcoholism issue again in the future hopefully it goes better for them they need to make that cage better like hopefully they have restored the cage and it is stronger and then lock xander inside it and then lock xander inside it okay thanks everybody we'll see you next week bye thanks for listening to prophecy girls if you want and can afford to donate 
head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.